Measure of a Fan, a Star Trek podcast in which three nerds watch all of Star Trek in chronological order, one of them enduring it all for the very first time. My name is PJ Montgomery and I am joined as ever by Matt Troy, he's ill, and our resident Trek first timer, Elliot Red. Hi everyone. Now, everyone say thank you to Matt for battling through his terrible illness to be with us today. Thank you, Matt. Thank, thank, thank you, Matt. Matt. Good. How are you feeling, Matthew? Are you okay? Um, I feel like dog shit. Um, <laughs> and if anybody's watching the uh, the live feed thing, not live, the recorded feed on, on Patreon, um, yeah, I, I, I look like shit. My eyes are all puffy. My face is all pink and blotchy. My usual handsomeness is curbed probably by about at least 4%. Oh, 4% off. That almost puts you in Argo territory. <laughs> that puts me in minus 3%. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, apologies, folks. It's been, well, hopefully by the time we've released this one, our episode about Battle of the Binary Stars has come out, you would think. But it has been a big gap between episodes. It turns out as babies get older, they require a lot more attention, and finding time for editing has been hard. But he goes to nursery soon, so while I'll miss the little fella at that point, then I should, touch wood, have a little more editing time, and we can get back on schedule. Yeah, as we've said before, you really need to stop editing on a baby and use a computer like everybody else is. See, what I've been doing now is I've been trying to use the computer, but I've been letting the baby do the editing. That's even oh, worse. No. <laughs> he just dribbles on the keyboard and nothing happens. He doesn't know the finer intricacies of cutting out all of the weird stuff that Elliot says that we can't allow the world to know. Or adding in, I don't know, my old man's a dustman or something. Oh, my old man's a dustman. He wears a dustman's hat. He wears gold blimey trousers and he lives in the council flat. <laughs> is, is that what Elliot does? Does he sing novelty Cockney songs and we have to cut them out? <laughs> and then I replaced them with the actual ones, yeah. I thought it was PJ adding old 80s TV show themes. That too, mostly. I do do that. <laughs> Yeah, we can't stop that. Like that was the that was the the thing. And by allowing him control over the editing process, he can add in any music he wants. Yeah, yeah. Like give Matt a theme tune, but it could be a really rubbish one. <laughs> oh no, what's it going to be? Like Super Grand or something? <laughs> That's a good idea. I don't remember how that goes. believe we just listened to super grand oh yeah who saw that one coming <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, this week we are looking at Context is for Kings, the third episode of Star Trek Discovery, which has a lot of credits, so bear with me. It's a story by Brian Fuller and Gretchen J. Berg and Aaron Harberts, a teleplay by Gretchen J. Berg and Aaron Harberts and Craig Sweeney, and it was directed by Akiva Goldsman, and it first appeared on your televisual devices on the 1st of October 2017. So again, Brian Fuller going, let's do this, and then fucking off, and everyone going, oh, now we have to do this. The sad thing about this episode is it actually takes place in November 2256 within Universe, uh, so the next episode should be a Christmas episode, but it's not. Ah, oh, and we didn't get our asses in gear to do it for Christmas. <laughs> that is true. I mean, we all had many things going on. We did. We did. Star Trek, I think, I can only think of two references to Christmas in all of Star Trek. Doesn't Data Scrooge? Oh, yes, three episodes. You're right. Data does do Scrooge at one point. There's an episode of the original series where Kirk and Spock talk about the ship Christmas party because Kirk gets off with someone there or something. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Uh, and then there's the weird sequence from Generations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Surprising. And when we say um, Data does Scrooge Elliot, we literally mean that. He, he vigorously fucks him on the holodeck. Oh, okay. He's like, this This is your <laughs> Christmas yet to come. Bam! <laughs> <laughs> oh, now it's I don't gone. know what Sorry. the man was supposed to represent there. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> anyway, this isn't a Christmas episode, so we... <laughs> it was the bab that got me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we uh, we open in a shuttle, and there's a bunch of prisoners on the shuttle. Uh, one of them is our old friend Michael Burnham, who did a mutiny and has been drummed out of Starfleet. And this is six months after that happened, and the Federation is at proper war with the Klingon Empire now. <laughs> There are three other prisoners on this shuttle. Memory Alpha tells me their names are Stone, Cold, and Psycho. <laughs> I mean, they had to have some names, right? <laughs> Cold. Yeah, like yeah, Bobby John Cold. Cold. It's not very threatening, is it? It's like Steve Stone, John Cold, and Adrian Psycho, like the other guys. <laughs> I'm guessing they were placeholders in the script because I don't think they get names in the episode, but it means for memory alpha's purposes, they didn't want to go prisoner one, prisoner two. So yeah, they're they're on a shuttle that's being moved to uh, another dilithium mine or something because another mine was ripped open and killed a bunch of convicts. And one of them says, oh, and all the guards are Andorians and they're cold in all the wrong places. I assume they mean the antenna. Mm, or the anus. <laughs> And then another prisoner says, oh, they're, they're cold everywhere because I killed a bunch, did a murder. And Burnham does a little reaction. And he's like, oh, do I make you uncomfortable? And then one of the other prisoners goes, don't, that's Michael Burnham. She'll mutiny you. <laughs> <laughs> so cold does say something about the Andorians being cold. Stone talks about mining and Psycho says about killing. Is that... It might be, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, Stone is the one that killed the Andorians, so they got it all wrong. <laughs> Fucking hell. Like, they really <laughs> dropped the ball on this, didn't they? <laughs> and then Psycho says, hey, my cousin was on the Europa, and you killed everyone on the Europa. You killed, like, 8,000 people. And Michael just goes, actually, I killed 8,186 people. Mm-hmm. You gotta double down on it. You can't show any sign of weakness in prison. I gotta admit, I I forgot that this scene was in the episode, apart from obviously that number being brought back up again later on. I'd forgotten about these guys. <laughs> <laughs> they're not really relevant to the episode. To no, they're not memorable no. guys. And it's it's quite a generic. Oh, here's the the person that you saw doing what they thought was right now, thought to be a outlaw kind of oh they're bad don't don't socialize with them no it is very generic prisoners isn't it you've got the big bald burly guy the little weasley guy and the woman those are your three types of prisoner <laughs> yeah and then they're apparently i guess going to jump michael or something and then an alert sounds and i think the pilot just runs away just just legs it out of the shuttle 
Yeah. <laughs> Mike like, oh yeah, we're being attacked by species GS54. That's a species with a sexy name. <laughs> and they feed on electricity and the ships, the, the, the shuttle's going to just kill them all. They're going to die of suffocation or hypothermia. Mm. But luckily, they're saved when a big old starship appears and gets it with its tractor beam. And it's the Discovery. And i got to say... I think they did a really good job of giving the Discovery's first, the first shot we see of it being a proper hero shot for the ship. It looked really cool in that shot. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, you know, I assumed it was going to be an Enterprise uh, just because I didn't know the Discovery was just going to be what exactly an Enterprise, but called a Discovery instead. (laughs) Not all spaceships are the Enterprise, Elliot. Just a lot of them. (laughs) Although it's an Enterprise. It looks exactly like an Enterprise, <laughs> but it's a Discovery. Yeah, I mean, it's like if you only ever saw the USS Nimitz, the aircraft carrier, and then you saw like the USS Essex, you'd be like, oh, it's a Nimitz. And you'd be like, no, it's just flat on the top. It's got a little tower. It's got a lot of planes <laughs> on it. And it's got a crane. Is this the same way that all vampires these days are just Draculas? Uh, Draculas, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All spaceships are just Enterprises. It's an Enterprise. This Enterprise is full of Draculas. To be fair, the Discovery does take a lot of its design language from um, between the original series and the motion picture. They were going to do a they tried to restart it as a series called Phase 2, and there was a plan then for another film, which was going to be Planet of the Giants or something. Yeah. But Ralph terrible. McQuarrie, who did all the design work for the original Star Wars, redesigned the Enterprise for Planet of the Giants, and Discovery takes a lot of cues from that Ralph McQuarrie redesign of the Enterprise. So you're not entirely wrong, Elliot. Yeah. It does look like an Enterprise. <laughs> it, it's the shape of an Enterprise. Yes, it's the shape of an Enterprise. But it's not an enterprise. It's, it's not, not an, an enterprise. enterprise. It's a discovery. Oh, this show's cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how'd they think of that? Uh, we'll make it look like it, but it won't be. You're off your rocker, but we'll try. You're gonna, it. The number of ships you're about to see are really going to blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when we get to the original series where every single ship looks like the Enterprise. It is literally identical to the Enterprise. Multiple Enterprises. <laughs> but you saw the Columbia in Enterprise. That would have the same shape as the Enterprise, but you knew it was the ah, Columbia. That, it was another Enterprise until I saw the Columbia on it. <laughs> yeah. What you need to do is to be reading all of the ships. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why don't they just make them look different? Because they have to fix them. <laughs> you don't have a different book for everyone. Why don't they just color them different? Make one blue, make one yellow, make one. Discovery green. is a different color. It's sort of a bronzy, goldy color. It's not Power Rangers. But I just this. But it's every time I go to a new show, I assume they're going to have like a slightly new Enterprise. It's still going to be the shape of the Enterprise, but they'll have slightly different coloring, texture of the metal, whatever. They'll have little towers, maybe or whatever. They'll be. Oh, this one's more pointy or whatever. You know, like. I get it. So I get that there's different enterprises, which is why I thought it was just another enterprise. <laughs> but it's not. It's the Discovery, which is a cross-field Discovery. <laughs> and I like it. I kind of understand why now they often have to be like, oh yeah, we're just going to have another show about an enterprise, because people won't understand. Like, I always just thought, oh yeah, it'd be, you know, it's easy. If, if ships got a different name, people will just know it's different, because they'll have a different name, but evidently that's completely wrong. People don't know what it's fine is. just don't make it look like an enterprise if it's not an enterprise because <laughs> otherwise okay we're gonna get a like a, an eye test chart of different <laughs> enterprises for you to learn <laughs> it'll just make it easier <laughs> do you know what? no matter what if it's the shape of an enterprise no matter what little extra details are on there i'm going to assume it's a version of an enterprise oh god <laughs> Because why wouldn't I? I'm sure I've got a bunch of enterprises in here. Matt, Matt's getting his enterprises out. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I do. Ah. Uh, I mean, I do. Uh, this is kind <laughs> of an enterprise. Kind of an enterprise, right? That looks exactly like an enterprise. So that is an enterprise. But weirdly enough, it's Shocker. not actually... Patrick, do you know which enterprise that is? Um, Is it the sea? It is. Sorry, everyone listening to this and not looking at this enterprise. 
it is the sea, but it's actually the um the version of it that's in the wall on the Enterprise D, and not the version they actually film it as. Oh right, so it's slightly different. I don't know yeah. why that's in my drawer. <laughs> so, the, Elliot, I want as your homework, you need to put together a lecture on all the different enterprises, the differences between them, and some ships that are not enterprises but look like enterprises. See, that's a discovery. That's the opposite of what I was trying to. <laughs> What's that? A discovery? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it looks exactly like an enterprise. I mean, I think they look different to me. <laughs> well, that's because they are slightly different, but it's the design of an enterprise. Yeah, so it's called design language, and it's how you know a Porsche is a Porsche. (laughs) (laughs) They're Starfleet ships. (laughs) We spent a lot longer on that than I thought we would. So, (laughs) the the prison shuttle is brought into Discovery's shuttle bay. It's the Discovery, Elliot, not the Enterprise. Looks you like can call one. it the Discovery Enterprise if you want. We'll accept the Discovery that. Prize. Oh, I don't, I don't yeah. want to be incorrect. It's not an Enterprise. I know, but yeah, you can say something dumb, and it's probably cute when people are like that. It's fine. <laughs> so they're all taken off the shuttle, and there's some security officers there, and the prisoners like, "Hey, this ship doesn't have any scuff marks on the floor. It must be brand new. Why isn't it fighting in the war? We're quite yeah. far from the war." Where's all the poo? Where's the Malcolm? <laughs> they don't have Malcolms in Starfleet anymore. Yeah, that was a good it. choice. <laughs> because you get actual competent security officers like Commander Ellen Landry, who walks out and says, Hi, I'm Commander Ellen Landry. I'm Chief of Security. <laughs> and you are prisoners, so you're shit. Yeah, she... She's good at treating people like dirt. So that's why they gave her the job, I guess. Yeah, that's what she likes. It's her thing. And this is where we find out that Michael Burnham is Starfleet's first mutineer, apparently. I don't believe that. Didn't somebody mutiny on something? On Enterprise? I'm sure there was a mutiny before. I was just trying to think back to if I anything think they like were that official. Happened. Yeah, they never logged it. There was There was like mind control or something, so they didn't count it. Uh, yeah, like worms, worms yeah. in the brain. So she gets them to follow her into the ship, and one of the prisoners goes, oh, there's a lot of science personnel on the ship. It must be a science vessel. How mysterious. Oh, no, wait, there's a man with a big gun. And oh, look, he has a black Starfleet badge. Hmm. hmm. And look, there's three bowls of porridge. One of them <laughs> appears to be too hot. The other too cold. <laughs> but this one is just right. And they're like, shut up. Just shut up. Sooner or later, someone will tell us what's going on. We don't need to guess right now. Get some clues. <laughs> Context is for kings, they should have said. Ooh. This is, uh, this is one of the very few episodes of Star Trek where they actually say the title in the episode. There you go. Yeah. You always get good titles when they do that, though. So the prisoners are taken just to the, the normal food court where everyone else eats their meals. They're not put in a room and brought food, which is what I would do if they're prison people. They're just yeah. put in the regular food place. Mess hall, that's the words. Yeah, classic mess around. <laughs> Michael sees Kayla Detmer, the uh, helm officer from the Shenzhou, only she's now got, like, cyborg bits in her face. Yeah. That's all we see of Detmer in this episode. So, yeah. And for a while, if I recall. Like, she's just kind of, like, there. Yeah. Yeah, which is, she's she's an interesting character who we do not get to see nearly enough of, Kayla Detmer. And that's true of a lot of characters on Discovery, sadly, but anyway. Uh, Michael's looking for somewhere to sit, and she's like, well, I guess I'll go sit with the other prisoners that I don't like. And wouldn't you know it, a fight starts. <laughs> Michael kicks their asses. I think one of the security guys reaches for their, their phaser, and Landry's like, no, no, let's see how this plays. <laughs> Yeah, that was an interesting moment. Ten quatloos <laughs> on Burnham. And then when Burnham's about to kill one of them, it looks like, then she's like, okay, now we will uh, now we will intervene and, and uh, I'm going to take you to see the captain, Michael. I think he'd like that. And Vulcans should stick to logic. And also pointy ears, you're confusing me. <laughs> and on the bridge... Saru's there in the captain's chair because he's the first officer and he sort of looks at her and then turns away. 
Yay, Doug Jones. <laughs> A teachable Doug Jones moment. So Michael is taken into the captain's ready room, which is dark. The lights are sort of all very low. Landry leaves. There's a tribble on the desk cooing. So now we've seen the trouble with Edward, right? Mm. Where did Lorca get that tribble? And why the fuck hasn't it reproduced? Yeah, yeah. It must have been like one of the original strain or something. That was yeah. weird. Yeah. But we've got here Captain Gabriel Lorca, played by Jason Isaacs. I know, Elliot, you've been waiting for him to turn up. Hi, Jason. And he has this, there's this weird moment... And I'm going to say now, this comes up again, and it's something I do not like. But a weird moment where it's like, oh, I had an injury in my eyes, but I, I don't want to replace my eyes with other eyes, so low lights. But sometimes I'm going to be fine in bright light, we're just not going to talk about it. But at the moment, low lights. Don't hurt my yeah. eyes. Yeah. Yeah, that was very one and done, wasn't it? Yeah, a weird, a weird thing. Do you know how we got the injury, Elliot? He was looking through keyholes of people having sex. Someone stuck a knife in it. Oh, I'm not supposed to get things in my eye. Least <laughs> of all, knives. <laughs> knives, my eye's one weakness. <laughs> and then Lorca offers Michael a fortune cookie, because apparently that was the family business a hundred years ago when Enterprise was happening. Oh, yeah. That's weird. <laughs> I did make the note here, though. Just Jason Isaacs is great. Oh, he's great. Yes. Any, any great. <laughs> he is brilliant. We talked about his bolognese last time, didn't we? Yes. <laughs> he just brings a sense of gravitas that no one's brought to anything I've seen in Star Trek before. <laughs> yeah. I'd argue that um, the name is completely... Captain Shenzhou, Captain Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh, yeah. I'd argue that she brought some pretty good gravitas. I, I, For a while, Lorca was like one of my favorite captains just because he was like a little bit different. And then obviously we started learning things about him. Yeah, so Michelle Yeoh had the gravitas, but she was a very typical, admirable captain. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Lorca is already quite morally questionable, and I'm so here for it. Yes. <laughs> So he says they, they used to do fortune cookies before hunger, need, and want weren't a problem anymore, but now they're at war with the Klingons. It is becoming a problem again. And he says, and that's your fault for starting that war. Ha ha. So is he trying to say that when wars are on, people need fortune cookies? Yes. Okay. That's how generals make their battle plans, and I fully believe that of World War One. Well, yeah. not just that. You could just, you could just get a cookie that says the war will end, and then finally... It's going to end. But if no that one ever true. opened that cookie... But the risk is that the wrong person opens it. Well, yeah, you've got to make sure that your side has all the fortune cookies. Otherwise, if one of them opens it, yeah. it says your side will win. You know, like I think uh, World War One. it was the Simpsons gag with the fortune cookies. It was like, send men over the top. We're out of send men over the top cookies. Uh, get the make peace ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 but Lorca has read Burnham's file. He he after he found out she was on the shuttle, and he says he was impressed. And she's like, "Well, why am I on the ship?" And he's like, "Well, because of the storm and your shuttle, and we found you." And isn't it isn't it a lovely coincidence? <laughs> and yeah, she says, "Look, there was an unannounced prison transfer that doesn't normally happen like that, and a sudden course change." And Lorca's like, "Oh, I don't know." <laughs> he is being very suspicious. He's being incredibly suspicious. <laughs> And he says he can't put her in the brig because the other prisoners might kill her or she might kill them. And then he says, how are you at quantum physics? And he says it's going to take three days for the shuttle to be safe again. And in the meantime, he needs help. He needs every mind he can get. And so he's going to use hers. And she says, I'm not going to. And he says, yes, you are. That wasn't a question. What One question about this is why would she kill everyone in the brig? Because she would have her own cell. As we see... Quite often in Star Trek, everybody seems to have their own cell. She can't kill anybody if they just lock her up. Not if they put them all in the one cell to have a murder happen. That is true, yeah. Because they let them all out for lunch every day. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the mess hall. Just, like, slide a lunch under the force field. <laughs> um, 
So he says he needs help achieving his mission. Burnham says, what's your mission? And he goes, to win the war. I want to win the war. Oh, okay. So then Burnham's made told to leave and Landry leads her to the quarters she's going to be in. And she says, uh, someone's going to turn up at 0800 hours to take her to work. Burnham says, what is my work? And Landry just leaves. So Burnham lies down on a bed and then the door opens and in walks cadet Sylvia Tilly. Tilly, right. I think when I first watched this, I wasn't sure, but Tilly by much later on becomes one of my very favorite characters on discovery. I love Tilly. I, this will endear me to no one in in this particular room. Um, but I just thought that she was a Joss Whedon character, so I didn't like it. <laughs> but I mean, later I, I, I also thought that she was great. But yeah, initially I was just like, this is just a Firefly character getting on Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I kind of wasn't in the mood. I was like, oh, here's the talkative, annoying, but well-meaning roommate. And I just, uh, whatever, okay. And I'm sure that I will, as the same as you say, I probably will become extremely endeared to her over the episodes as they develop her character. But yeah, I, I saw what was coming. I like the idea that you would that you would say that in real life if you had a roommate and like they were talkative and endearing. You're like, oh, here comes the talkative and endearing roommate. He's like, I can hear you. I can literally hear what you say. <laughs> You've got a microphone to your mouth and everything. <laughs> um, I really like Mary Wiseman who plays Tilly as well. She's she's great. <laughs> um, but Tilly babbles, introduces herself, says, you're on my bed, but I'm nervous. So I don't want to admit it, but I'm allergic to the other bed. So I need to have this bed. And who are you? And, I didn't think I was going to get a roommate. And Michael says, my name's Michael. She's like, I only heard of another one other girl named Michael because I'm not a fan of the Bangles. And <laughs> that's the one that did the mutiny. That's not you, is it? They do not have the Bangles in the uh, 23rd century, no. Um, so, yeah, she finds out that Michael Burnham is indeed Michael Burnham. Ooh. Mm. That's awkward, isn't it? Imagine you're like, oh, cool, my new roommate. What's your name? He's like, Fred West. And like, oh, great. I only know one other Fred West, the the, the, the murderer and, and and cannibal. It's like, yeah, yeah, I am the murderer of Fred West. You're like, fuck. <laughs> Why'd they put you in my room? I'm defenseless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the ship goes to black alert and stuff gets wet. There's this like condensation and then stuff gets wet and then the water disappears. And Michael's like, the fuck was that? And Tilly's like, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah does this continue to happen with the liquid i don't think so i didn't remember it happening it was cool but weird <laughs> very brief as well it was really weirdly brief yeah so in the morning burnham is using the clothes synthesizer to just make some clothes that are the same color and shape as a starfleet uniform but without any of the adornments so it's just a blue jumpsuit <laughs> yeah, and then the doorbell rings and it's Saru and she says Saru and he says it's first officer Saru and she says surely you've got an actual rank like commander or something and he's yeah. like oh yeah <laughs> yeah just to you know, have some self respect you, you big tall bastard <laughs> but he basically says because of all my really cool actions at the battle of the binary stars I got all promoted and stuff um I wish I could have done more and sort of glances at her and then offers her a blueberry. And she says, these are nicer than the blueberries we get in prison. <laughs> yeah, no one's peed on these ones. He says, no, they're not. You're just in prison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the ones in prison are like pre-chewed. <laughs> <laughs> they get to engineering where Saru says, this is where you've been assigned to Lieutenant Stamets. He's going to give you more instructions. And then she's like, Saru, I'm sorry I did a mutiny. I saw you usually to Captain Giorgio. That was really cool. And he's like, yeah, but you did a mutiny and you are dangerous. So bye. I think about what happened every day. All the time. And I owe you. I'm trying to say. I'm sorry. Yes. I believe you feel regret. But in my mind, you are dangerous. Captain Lorca is a man who does not fear the things normal people fear. But I do. 
And you are someone to fear, Michael Burnham. I just want to get back on that shuttle, Commander. I won't make any trouble for you here. Well, that is certain. But if you try, know that I intend to do a better job protecting my captain than you did yours. I really liked this scene between them. Yeah, I like the scene. I I thought they both played it really well. There was this really nice sort of quiet, low key anger from Saru that's sort of just below the surface, and the discomfort that Burnham feels, and the obvious contrition as well. Yeah, I really thought both actors did a great job in this scene. Again, it's it's like a testament to Doug Jones as well, just for being in that much makeup and being mm. able to portray that much emotion, mm. which I think is fantastic. And again, he's amazing. Agreed. So Burnham walks into engineering and asks for Stamets, who's in another room, but she can't get in there because you need a breath print. You need to breathe into a thingy and it's got a record of your breathe and then you can go in. But she doesn't have the right breathe. It's just like, you know, with fingerprints where you get your fingerprint wet and your phone doesn't know who you are. Like, what if you eat, like, garlic or something? I was thinking this, because in order for it to be able to measure your breath, it has to first take a sample. And if you don't match the sample, because you have extra pizza in your breath, (laughs) like, then it's just like, that's not Charlie, that's a pizza. (laughs) I assume there's a rule that it's like, you have to have brushed your teeth at least 10 minutes before you do the breath thing. Then just toothpaste. What if you have oral sex with somebody before you do the breath test? That could affect it. You still have to brush your teeth afterwards. <laughs> just like everyone's walking around with a little, little <laughs> yeah. toothbrush in their pocket. <laughs> um, Burnham says, hey, this isn't normal on a Starfleet ship to have like a science engineering lab that's classified. And then Ensign just says to her, this is discovery. And Michael says, that is not an explanation. Tell me more. And the Ensign panics, wets themselves and runs away. Like they should. It's also, it looked like an enterprise from outside, but <laughs> that's fine. I'm sure everyone's no, having that same problem you know, when they first see it. They're like, they just thought it was an enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're discovery. <laughs> Stop calling us enterprise. Just because it's a better ship. And then the Ensign just says, go work at a station. And Burnham's like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll go work next to Tilly. And Tilly says, "Uh, no, don't work next to me. Piss off. They should have got to do in the hoovering. Yeah. Just just start wiping the floor. Yeah, something interesting, you know? Yeah. I love how she specifically says, no, we don't have any assigned seats. There's, Oh, no, we have assigned seats. That's what she said. Yeah. We We have assigned seats, so you can't sit next to me. And then Stamis walks out, walks out of the classified room, just looks at her and goes, who is this? Who is this person? <laughs> and Michael says, well, I was assigned to you. He says, only I assign people to me. And she says, the captain assigned me. And he goes, oh, yes, and him. <laughs> and then says, I was expecting a Vulcan. And Burnham says, no, I'm human. I was just raised on Vulcan. And he says, well, my uncle's in a Beatles covers band and he's not John Lennon. He's actually a clone of John Lennon. Wind it in, Stamets. Yeah, I don't feel like he's helping anyone here. <laughs> no. No, he, he's he's a bit... Highly, he's another character that I really like as Discovery goes on, but at this point yeah. he's a bit, come on, dude. Yeah. And then he says, I'm going to make you prove yourself. Here's some computer code. Reconcile it or something. But stay away from me because seating's not assigned. And Michael's like, oh, Tilly. I'm going to come and sit next to you again then. You're so full of shit. And later on, I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> yeah. It was at this point, I was kind of like, wow, the people of Discovery just all assholes? <laughs> yeah. I think they're all assholes. <laughs> so I think there's an element here of Discovery came out at the height of Game of Thrones popularity. And there was an element of them going, we're going to be the dark, edgy Star Trek. And then people went, well, how are you going to do that? And they went, uh, arseholes, boobs, and swearing? Yeah. And everyone was like, do you know how like we watch Great British Bake Off for the baking and we don't want to see like Paul Hollywood stab someone in the eye? And people were like, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, that's the way we want for this because like, people watch Star Trek for an optimistic view of the future, not one where everyone's just splashing their boobs and hitting each other. 
again, all of this sort of gets toned down the further away we get from Brian Fuller leaving the show. So uh, as Burnham is working, she hears Stamets talking on a weird... It's like a view screen, but the dude he's talking to, his head pops out of it. So... <laughs> oh, necessary. I would not be able to work on that without a little plastic hammer. Just like... I keep, I'd keep on putting a, a wig on, pretending I was the girl from The Ring. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> but this guy is apparently like the science officer, the, like the same rank and, and position as Stamets, but on the USS Glenn. And they start saying random techno babble and random numbers to say my ship's better than your ship. Basically, that's it. Uh, and then but it's the same ship. Glenn, that's not his name. That's just the ship he works on. Glenn Mann says, "I." I'm going to go do my job and we're better than you. And then leaves the conversation and then Burnham just sort of lurking and stamps goes, I don't like lurkers. He despises lurkers. It is a ship of assholes. <laughs> and then Michael says, well, okay, fine, but I want more information on the equations I'm working on. And he says, well, you can't have it. And she says, well, fine, here's a mistake. And he says, oh, oh, you found a mistake. Go away. And then he breathes into the door so he can walk through it. So then Michael walks back to her quarters where Tilly is asleep, but Tilly, handily, is a drooler in her sleep. So Michael collects some of her drool and like a, a, a hypo spray, goes back to engineering, goes to the secret breath door and hypo sprays some drool at the breath thingy which makes it think she's Tilly so she can go into the lab and see lots of fungi. Honestly honestly, God like a four digit code is more secure than that. <laughs> it yeah. <laughs> also I don't know if that would work just spraying someone else's saliva at the breath thing. Not if they'd functioned it properly no. <laughs> it's, yeah anyway so then we, we cut to Lorca in his ready room and he gets a message and then he goes to engineering with Saru and he says, ah, oh, the, the Glens had an incident and everyone's dead. They're all just dead. And the Stamets is like, oh, but my friend. And Lorca says he's dead. Everyone's dead. They're all dead, Dave. Classic reference. Yep, thank you. <laughs> Where is everybody off? They're dead, Dave. Who is? Everybody, Dave. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead, Dave. And uh, Stamets says, well, did this thing fail? And Lorca doesn't answer. He says, we're going to the Glen. You're going to put together a boarding party with Landry to go and bring all the science stuff back over. And Stamets goes, why can't we transport it? And Saru goes, shields. And Stamets goes, how convenient for the plot. How can they shuttle in there <laughs> if the shields are up? No, the shields were just around the science lab. Oh, right, right, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. And then it's near Klingon territory, so that's also a problem. So they've got to get the technology off it before the Klingons can get it. And Stamets says, well, why are drills being carried out so close to enemy territory? And Lorca says, we're at war, Stamets, and I shouldn't have to keep reminding you of that, you little prick. Uh, he needs that. Yeah. <laughs> So Stamets says, fine, I need to have a full team with me. And Lorca says, cool, take Burnham. And Stamets is like, no. And Lorca says, yes. And then says, Saru, what do you think of Burnham? And Saru's like, well, until the mutiny, she was the best officer I've ever served with. And I love Lorca's little... And Stamets, he served with you. Sick burn. <laughs> <laughs> so a shuttle launches, and we see another main character we're never going to get to know, Bryce piloting the shuttle. Tilly's also on the team with Landry and Stamets and Burnham and a random security dude. So, um, Elliot, how quickly until you thought this random security dude was going to die? I, I didn't. What? As if I was paying that much attention. You, you should. You need to pay attention so you can talk about <laughs> the episodes on this podcast, you see. Yeah, I do. To my maximum possibilities. <laughs> There's only so much dialogue I can intake before I go, okay, can something happen, please? <laughs> so, while they're flying... Tilly tries to apologise to Burnham, saying, look, I'm trying to make a good impression on my superiors, and I think associating with a mutineer would be bad for that. That's why I told you not to sit near me, and I'm very sorry. And Burnham's like, I'm leaving soon. You don't want to be my friend. 
and then they arrive at the Glen. Elliot, did you think the Glen was an Enterprise? I don't know. Well, by this point, did you what figure out Glenn? it was a discovery? Oh, was the, the one that, uh, I don't know. It depends. Was it the shape of an Enterprise? It was the shape of a discovery. But the discovery is the shape of an Enterprise, so yes. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the Glenterprise has suffered extensive damage, and Stamet says, oh, look at the hull etching. That's something, something rupture. Bam, bam. Mm, I'm going to try and read this off memory alpha. Basidiosac. 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 Something. Yeah, it sounds painful. (laughs) Sack. Burnham's like, what's that mean? And Stab's like, fuck you. That's what it means. (laughs) And then Burnham says, well, look, look, I need to know if I'm working on biology and physics. And Stamets goes, there is no difference on the quantum level. This is all spores and energy and quantum and just go with it. And he was doing research, and then Starfleet co-opted it for the war. And the Discovery and the Glen are testing it. And uh, Starfleet's goal is no longer explanation, but military. And now his friend's dead. And Burnham says, no, I get that, but we are also at war, so sadly. So they land in the Glen, all the lights are off, and they are just going through corridors, and they find some real event horizon shit. Because these, these, people, these people died horribly. Yeah, they're like gross in the world and that, yeah. And who was in Event Horizon? Jason Isaacs. Oh, yeah. I was going to say Sam Neill, because he is also in Event yeah, Horizon. Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne, but... Yeah. Yes, he is. The fish, as I call him. <laughs> he doesn't like it. Uh, quick question. Is this the most into horror Star Trek has ever dealt? In terms of the body stuff, I think so. Okay. Yeah, there's some pretty gross moments in various star treks but yeah this this is up there okay because like i've had a question i wondered if even in the like slightly softer you know tea time classic doctor who vein of sci-fi horror does does any of the other shows like next gen and stuff venture into doing a like you know horror themed episode they do it's not but they dark? don't but they sort of normally then sort of the it's just about the tension there Rather than, mm. I mean, this this had the tension as well. Though I'm not saying this because I think this, this this episode does this section really well. It is very tense and yeah. very well done. But what the other treks prior to Discovery didn't have is the the actual body horror side of it, where you see these bodies sure. and how disfigured they are. That was quite new for Star Trek with Discovery. There's there's one moment in the Next Generation that is pretty gross, and it's never ever shown again. But Riker and Picard phaser a guy yes. and like his skin melts off and you can see like his eyes and shit underneath briefly and then he sort of explodes. Uh that was one random incident of uh weird like body horror that popped up. I mean there's probably others like there are some gross things like you know there's occasionally being like people half stuck in walls and stuff like that and you know like zombies and that kind of crap. But yeah, I think this is probably really up there in terms of like oh this was like inventively gross yeah like yeah yeah these these remains like yeah and they can't quite figure out what's happened to them at first and the the accident doesn't follow a normal pattern etc there's bodies everywhere everyone on the ship has died like this there's a turbo lift that's just closing on a leg and then opening again that made me chuckle and then there's a noise and something runs past behind them and then Tilly sees someone else. They find a Batleth and some dead Klingons, like six dead Klingons, and Burnham's like, we are in trouble because these Klingons haven't died in the same way. They've been killed by something subsequently. Tilly sees something moving in the shadows, points a phaser, tells it to come out, and a Klingon walks out and just goes, shh. And I found that hilarious. Just a Klingon going shush was really funny to me because it's so out of character. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of get where they were going, like, oh my god, this is a shock, like a Klingon is telling us to be quiet, when you usually like, I'll stick my fucking head in this. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it, but it was funny. And then even even Landry's like, did that Klingon just shush you? And then something reaches out of the dark and eats the Klingon. <laughs> and then starts chasing them through the ship. And they get to engineering, they shut it out, but it's going to blast through the door. Stamets gets loads of data and logs and devices and stuff. Landry starts trying to phaser through another door so they can escape, but it's not going to work in time. So Burnham says, give me a gun. 
And they're like, it won't kill it. And Burnham's like, no, I know, but maybe I can annoy it. Give me a gun. And I do like that in this moment of just life or death, Stamets leaves everything behind and is the one to give her a gun. Stamets has shown the most hostility towards Burnham in this episode is the one who gives her a gun in, in this moment of, I need to rely on this person. I liked that as a little touch. I, I when she said like she was gonna like buggy like get on its nerves, I hope she was gonna like phase her like tits into the wall or something, and then the alien was gonna be like because he was really offended by that. <laughs> or that S, that Starfleet S. <laughs> yeah, she could do that S with the three lines. <laughs> More a letter. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the the creature bursts in. Burnham shouts at it and opens fire, and then runs a different way. And the others managed to get through the door. Landry was was trying to phase her open, and they they get out. Burnham goes into a Jeffrey's tube, and for some reason starts reciting Alice in Wonderland as she goes running away yeah. from the creature. That was odd. The rest of the team get back to the shuttle. Stamets contacts her, and she says, "Right, get the shuttle to this point and open the top hatch," which it does. And Burnham opens a hatch in the Jeffrey's tube, drops into the shuttle, and then it leaves the Glen before the creature can get them. Hooray, everyone's fine. But this sequence was great, I think. Other than the Alice in Wonderland thing, which was just a bit weird, everything else in this sequence I thought was so well done. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they were um, maybe trying a little bit too hard with the Alice in Wonderland yeah. stuff. But yeah, that, the rest of it was great. Better than all the zombie Enterprise episodes. Yeah. They're just trying a little bit too hard with Burnham, it seems. Like, specifically... Like, because I like yes. a lot of the other aspects <laughs> of this show, and all of the other characters have been way more interesting. But whenever yes. it's Burnham's time to try and shine as a character, it's just really generic. Yeah, that is a criticism a lot of people had. Certainly, of season one of Discovery, was it was Burnham is very much the central character of Discovery, but oh, a lot of the time it is to the detriment of other characters. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas other Star Treks are much more ensemble. Even the original series, while it's really only Kirk, Spock, McCoy, they're the main characters and everyone else is secondary, it's still those mm. three. This is Burnham, is the main character. Right. It wasn't a bad idea, but I think that the way that Star Trek just works, that there's that probably wasn't much point in trying it out on like a whole series. Mm. On a character that's that's not a captain either, whereas, you know... Yeah. That's an interesting that, that, that idea, but it's thing. one I don't think they really see through properly. Yeah. Like, even Star Trek Lower Decks, which is specifically about a bunch of people who, like, work not on the bridge, you still get plenty of the main cast, like, the main crew, like, the captain, yeah. the first officer, and all those guys. So, yeah, the, the like, the obsession... Like, I mean, I think Michael Burns great. You know, there's lots of interesting facets to that yeah, character. Yeah, as Discovery goes along, I think they really find who she is, and she becomes... Yeah, right. yeah, but this just feeds back into my never-ending Star Trek theory of that Star Trek should not put all of his eggs into one basket because it is very hit and miss, and it needs to kind of spread those spread those costs across the board for the show to work. Yeah. So back on Discovery, Burnham's back in her prison outfit, and she enters the bridge and asks Saru for permission to go and see the captain. She's been told to see him. Saru tells Commander Eriam to take the command. And this is another character who's one of the bridge officers who you should get to know and you never really will. And that's a shame. Yeah. And she says to Saru, I'm going to leave on the shuttle within the hour. Don't worry, I'm gone. And Saru says, well, you did a good job on the landing party and you're always a good officer until that point when you weren't and you attacked our captain. And she says, yes. But then she walks into Lorca's ready room and Lorca says, I want you to stay on Discovery. And she's like, nope, I'm not going to help you develop a bioweapon. If you've read my file, you clearly haven't understood who I am. I was a Starfleet officer. And even though I'm not anymore because I'm a prisoner, I also still am. So no. And he says, oh, no, I know who you are. And they beam to engineering. And he's like, it's not a bioweapon. Puts her in a big glass case, puts some spores in it. And he says, it's a new way to travel. And basically, they found this thing that means their ships can jump light years in a second. And the Discovery's only done a few hundred metres, but the Glen had gone between quadrants. And uh, he puts the spores in the case with her, and she sees loads of different worlds, including an obelisk that you will see again, Elliot, in a subpar episode of the original series, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, obelisk of the future. 
Remember the green obelisk. It's important to one episode of Star Trek that is not very good. If you forget that fucking obelisk, we are going to get you. <laughs> I feel like you've already got me. <laughs> and then and then she's back in the glass box and she's like, oh, it's this is full of drive. And Lorca's like, hey, I think you did the right thing with your mutiny and uh, starting the war. I think that was the right thing to do. So why don't you help me end it? This this is like such a, now I know you're cool. Like you, <laughs> you, you say something slightly off color and then somebody like picks up on it and they're like, oh yeah, perhaps he's a racist too. And you're like, no, no, I, don't, I didn't mean anything like that at all. That's, that's this moment you're like, oh shit. Like Locke is one of these guys. Yeah. He's got a MAGA hat in his his office. Somewhere. I mean, he has good reason for it. I mean, not to be a MAGA voter, but to to be a bit shady, which Elliot will find out in the future. And then he offers Burnham a fortune cookie because he must have picked one up before they beamed, and she takes it. And then, as the prison shuttle leaves, we're back in the mess hall, and Saru's threat ganglia go all erect on his neck. It's like that dude from Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, and then he spits acid at a crewman and kills it and eats it. <laughs> stands up dabbing his lips like sorry I don't know what came over me <laughs> and then Burnham returns to Tilly's quarters which is now also her quarters and Tilly's like oh well alright I like you now by the way I'm going to be a captain one day but I want to learn about captaining from you even though you never were a captain and Michael's like okay I have my copy of Alice in Wonderland <laughs> got any like Starfleet books? nah <laughs> is that a book? Oh my god! Now, by this by this point in Star Trek, Elliot, all books are electronic, so people who have actual paper books are weird. Oh, okay, it's like anyone who still owns an Argos catalogue. Yes, exactly. Yes, it's it's required literature and Starfleet uh, English lit one away. <laughs> the Argos catalogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, Michael says, "Ah, oh, my foster mother, who was human on Vulcan, the only other human in the house, read this to me. Her name was Amanda, and she also read it to her son. He's a Vulcan. Let's not mention him properly yet, though." Have you guessed who he is, Elliot? No. I mean, we told you in episode one. Spock. Yes. <laughs> yes, one Vulcan you know. This is going to be the the one Vulcan with with importance to Star Trek. I mean, pretty much. Yes, they really take a Star Wars approach to using Spock in Discovery and uh, and Strange New Worlds. Arguably, Spock is the most important character in all of Star Trek. You know that song, I'm Every Woman? It's all You could sing that about him too. You could sing I'm Every Vulcan. Probably not the most capable. That is hilariously Tom Paris, but we'll get to that one day. <laughs> um, then we see the the Glen, the Glen Enterprise, sorry, floating in space, and then it explodes because Lork has blown it up, and he and Landry are looking out the window from a room which has lots of alien skeletons and shit in it, and he's like, "Oh, is our new guest secure?" And she says, "Yep," and leaves, and then he goes to a force field, and the creature that attacked them all on the Glen is in the cage, and Lork is like, "Cool," and then the discovery goes to warp. The end. To what end, Jason Isaacs? To what end? <laughs> Indeed. So, I think this episode was a lot better paced than the opening two-parter. This just felt like a complete episode to me, but with stuff mm -hmm. that would then hook you for the rest of it. And I would also say, with, you mm -hmm. didn't have to change a single thing. This should have been the first episode of Discovery, I think. Yeah. I think yeah. the intrigue of Michael being a mutineer, and then you could have done a two-parter yeah. mid-season, which used a lot of the stuff from the opening two-parter instead. Open here, put that in the middle. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I th yeah, I think that actually really works because part of the issue with Michael Burnham is that I've already seen her be a, uh, what's the word, um, person who sacrifices himself for good, like yeah, a martyr essentially. Yeah, uh, by making making herself a mutineer in order to try and save the, the universe. Because so I already know if there was intrigue behind it. If I was like, oh, is she actually a mutineer? If I didn't know, it would be more interesting. Yeah, I think. See, this is with Discovery. This is only the second time I would have watched any of it. Most of the other Star Treks I've watched more than that. Enterprise, there were a lot of exceptions. It was my second time in a lot of the Enterprise episodes, but certainly original series, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, and most of Voyager I'd seen lots of times. But this is my second viewing of any episodes of Discovery. And I have to say, I am enjoying it more the second time around. 
Yes, I am I think, too. Because I'm not going in with that level of expectation, I think, that I yeah. had before. Or of like, I sort of, now I know what it is and what it's trying to be. I can enjoy it a bit more, I think. So I actually really enjoyed this episode this time. I, I think similar, I, I think a lot of the episodes of Discovery were kind of spoiled by people who I knew had watched it before I did. I think I kind of was a little bit behind. So people were like, oh, see the new episode of Discovery is shit. And I kind of went in with trepidation. And sometimes it was shit, absolutely. Yeah. But I've got a bit more of a kind of a new perspective. Of course, like the other thing that's happened since Discovery's come out is they've kind of, we've all kind of got used to the update and the way that Star Trek looks with Strange New Worlds and stuff like that as well, which is a better series and we're all a bit more comfortable with it. So, yeah, I, I just think that there's less of a culture shock, less of like people gabbing in my ear about how the series is doing. And I can just kind of watch it as a show, and I, that makes it better. Elliot, what did you think of this episode? That's a good episode. You're all you're always gonna get me on a on a good fish hook if you throw in some sci-fi horror. So uh, that that was thoroughly enjoyable. But other than that, yeah, I enjoy as you guys say, ev- like every side character is way more interesting than the main character. It's a bit of a shame, but. That is just uh, it's not it's not the only show that I've watched with that problem that I've still been able to enjoy. So you know, Jason Isaacs, nice to finally see him. I thought it's a shame that you say that they don't really carry on with the whole eyes low light thing because that was a really interesting, cool introduction. They do they do bring it up again? I just don't like it when because <laughs> it ends up being something really stupid. Well. It would be cool if they at least kept it consistent and it was always low light in his scenes. Even if it was just like the opposite of the Adams family where there's like always a dark strip above his nose where his his eyes are in low light. Or if they'd done something a little bit more sensible and given him like a Cyclops visor so that he's got special eyes. Just some fucking sunglasses. Bob Burton's character has a visor. Like, why couldn't they have anything? Yeah, some very focals. But yeah, I really liked it. I liked it. I'm up for more. Interested to see where things go, especially Jason Isaac's character, because I'm interested in what he's up to. Yeah, I I'm really curious to see what you think of when we do get more of the eye stuff. Uh, what you think of where that goes and comes from? It's it's interesting. But yeah, I um enjoyed it. Good good episode. Yeah, let's let's do another one soon. And in Ooh. the next episode. This is another one of those absolutely classic Star Trek episode titles. So, Elliot, hit me with your expectations for episode four of Discovery, which is titled <clears throat> The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. Um, okay. Uh, mm, probably the way that... Oh, uh, yeah, of course. It's going to be Burnham encountering the more morally questionable encounters that the Discovery probably ends up facing than other Enterprise ships would. No, she goes to work in an abattoir. (laughs) She's really good at it. Okay. Yeah, and there's a knife, and it goes, I don't care that you're crying lamb as it keeps stabbing the lambs. It's horrible. (laughs) It's awful. We shouldn't watch it. (laughs) We will return for The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. I love it. It's a great title. Um, In the near future, in the meantime... We're on social media. We haven't posted there much recently. Apologies for that. It's been a busy few weeks. We're doing our best. But follow us. We might say something interesting at some point. There is also our Patreon and our coffee. Links to all of that in the description, uh, if you would be so inclined. If we got paid more to do this, we could afford to take more time to do this. And that would help, I think, with our release schedule. Hint, hint. Give us all your money, please. All of it. You don't need food. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. We will be back soon to talk about more Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek Elliot's starting to enjoy, so that's a good sign, I hope. Maybe. It's all right so far. We'll see how you feel at the end of this season. <laughs> Everybody take care. We'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>